By the way, you like how he was like, so sharks, you want to come take a swim in the maritime industry? <laughs> these kids are the best. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I thought this was going to be stupid. These are these guys are so much better than anything we've ever done with this. They are yeah. so talented. Also, if this is like the bar, if this is the normal bar of college entrepreneur, then like, uh, uh, you know, like. I feel like we were playing basketball back in the days when they had like short shorts and nobody could use their left hand and like you know, it was a peach basket yeah. for a hoop. It's like, oh wow, these these guys can jump. You yeah, know, like, it's like we just like LeBron just learned how to lift weights. Like that's what this feels like. All right, what up? We got a special episode. This is like a Shark Tank style episode. So this is the my first million pitch competition we got the university of michigan so wolverines are here we got five companies i believe each company is going to have two minutes to pitch a five minute q a and the winner will get five thousand dollars at the end as decided by me and sam whoever is the best at pitching and little do people know this this is how i became an entrepreneur i was going to be a doctor and then i entered a pitch competition at my university and i won that baby for 25 grand and um, that was what got me on the path of entrepreneurship altogether. I would have never, ever, ever done startups uh, if it wasn't for that competition that we randomly entered. So this could be kind of for somebody out there. This could be their break, too. So here we go. University of Michigan pitch competition. First up, um, who is it? Jake. So Jake from area. Is that right? Yes. Hey, guys. What's up? All right. Two minutes is all yours. Go. Cool. So, hey guys, my name's Jake. I'm the founder of Area. We're bringing e-commerce abilities to in-person shopping. And so as an e-commerce business owner myself, we, we know quite a bit about our customers, such as who they are, what they're interested, and how they engage with our business. And so this, this type of information informs all aspects of our operations, from developing new products and then driving more sales. And so... The question that comes to mind is, why aren't these same necessities available to retail business owners? Why is this limited to just e-commerce? And this happens because the source of the transaction, which is the barcode. Um, at Area, we're making a new type of product code that brings uh, e-commerce abilities to retail. So this is called OneTag. It uses radio frequency identification. This is the same type of technology in contactless credit cards and garage door openers, and it recently became affordable at a mass scale. And uh, OneTag is super versatile. There's a lot of uses for it. It costs pennies to manufacture, and it's printed on a sticker to attach to merchandise. Uh, so by replacing the barcode with OneTag, retailers unlock new capabilities in a variety of things. I'm going to go into one example now. So this is a traditional retail setup. You have your products, and then you have barcodes, and each one is individually scanned. Instead of that, let's just replace all of these barcodes with OneTag. So now uh, a shopper can just bag all items as they shop. And then they can pretty much just walk through an antenna, which instantly scans all of their items at once. And then payment can be done through a kiosk for quick self-checkout or through an app that uses uh, something called Ultra Wideband, which is a new type of technology uh, that's brought to iPhone in as recent as 2019. And so um, this pretty much tracks the location of the customer and uh, shows what products they purchased and how they purchased it. And so you could pretty much walk out and then 
uh, payments instantly processed as you walk out, just like Amazon Go. And so what this does in addition to autonomous checkout is it brings a bunch of e-commerce capabilities to retail. So now we have an e-commerce profile for a bunch of offline purchases. And this allows us to abandon cart recovery, personalized product upsells, uh, in-depth shopping data, and subscription reorders. There's also loss prevention built right in. And then the location accuracy of RFID is super high. So inventory management is like pretty easy. Uh, all you really have to do is, uh, is put an item in its proper location. And then if an item is ever misplaced, area pretty much will map the entire location of all these items. And so instead of like arduous stock checks, um, you can pretty much just instantly know where things are misplaced and address those directly. And so, yeah, that's my product. This is one tag. It's checkout, security, and inventory all in one product. And most importantly, it brings e-commerce abilities to retail. All right, it's time for a little ad break. Ever wonder what a unicorn eats for breakfast? Okay, I don't actually know, but I do know that 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, marketing, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big on your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, go to HubSpot.com slash startups. Jake, what type of e-commerce storm do you own? Uh, I own a sex chocolate brand. What is it called? It's called Tabs Chocolate. Yeah, we, we've talked about you uh, a fair bit uh, on the pod, I think, right? You've got like a crazy uh, Instagram or TikTok or something like that? Uh, yeah, we go viral on TikTok pretty frequently. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Wait, you're in college? I am. I'm a sophomore now. My God. Okay. Uh, cool. All right. So Sam, what do you think? Yeah. So I've talked to a few companies in this space. I know there's a few people trying to attack it. And some of them, I think, are actually quite big. I the, One of the most interesting... So basically, Jake explained it in a more sophisticated way. I'm going to explain it in a more dumb way, which is like this little tag goes into clothing and you know the clothing's history and you could track it and things like that. And I saw a company that was doing this with high-end luxury goods. So like, I don't know if this was their customer, but basically like this would get sewn inside of a Louis Vuitton purse. And whether, you know, how people buy and sell used purses, you could see like where it originally came from, who originally bought it. And as a collector of like old stuff, I thought that was awesome. I thought that was great. So I, it's, it's interesting technology to me. I don't really know this market that well, but I do think there's a few people doing this, right, Sean? Well, I think you are looking only at a little niche use case. It seems yeah, like yeah, to yeah. me what yeah, they're yeah, doing yeah. is they're trying to take the Amazon Go store. Like Amazon's like, hey, what if there was a grocery store where you could walk in and just walk out? There's no checkout process, right? That's more efficient. It's more convenient. Um, and it's lower cost because you don't have to, you know, employ all these checkout folks at the at the store. And um, they're trying to just provide that as a, like anybody, any store should be able to have that if they want kind of the... Uh, the next level of self-checkout is, I think, what they're trying to do. And so I think that's a cool idea. I think it it ticks a lot of boxes. So um, technology that really wasn't possible, wasn't cheap enough until a few years ago. I like that. Like these little, I, I don't know if they're called, I don't know if these are NFC chips or whatever, but like the very cheap, like pennies uh, of these, like um, the uh, pennies, like pennies now to, to manufacture or, or add these little chips to um, to any kind of goods. So I think that's really great that that's now possible. It wasn't possible before. I think it's clearly 
cheaper, faster for the person who's doing it. Um, but I do have some problems with your pitch. So I'm going to give you like three bits of pitch feedback for you. All right, Jake. So keep in mind, feedback. though, he's doing this with like in the most like hood rat way ever right now. We've got like one person talking, another person hitting slides and there's a delay. So go a little easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, of course. And also he's like sideways on my screen. So that doesn't help. Uh, but basically the 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 main things I would have said in the pitch is basically like, uh, you know, you have three, three major ways that you could have presented this. Number one, you could have shown a barcode and just been like, can you believe this hasn't been upgraded in like a hundred years? Like, this is the same thing we've been using for 75 years. We got iPhones, we got all this crazy stuff, all this amazing technology, but the barcode is still the same. And like, you could have presented it from that angle. Like the barcode is, is outdated. We're, we're revolutionizing the barcode and the barcodes on everything. So like, that's how big this idea is going to be. The second thing was basically like, we're taking the Amazon go checkout and we're making it available to any store, right? That that's a very simple way for me to understand what you're talking about. Um, then this, uh, the third thing is that you have a really cool backstory with, with the chocolate stuff. So you could be like, I'm Jake, I'm a sophomore in college this year. I sold $4 million worth of sex chocolate. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a hustler. I don't think my career is going to, you know, I don't think sex chocolate is the big idea for me, but it led me to what I think is the big idea. And already I'd be hooked. Cause I'm like, who is this college sophomore that sold $4 million of sex chocolate? Like, tell me more. Right. So that's my pitch feedback for you. Um, on that side, on the, on and the actual idea itself, the part I felt was lacking was the go to market. So this was, this was all about technology, 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 but how are you going to get customers? And are, you know, are these stores going to be willing to revamp our product, our customers going to understand what the hell's going on? And I think that's where this technology, that's where this, a company like this would struggle, but you didn't really talk about that at all. So can you talk about how are you going to go get your first, you know, 10 or hundred customers? Have you done that already? Or how are you going to do it? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm talking to customers right now. It would pretty much be, there would really be no retrofitting for a store. Um, the first MVP would be pretty much an iPad kiosk uh, that's self-checkout. So, but they have to tag every product, right? They do. Yeah. But a lot of retailers, especially small retailers don't even use like universal product code. They have to tag barcodes. So it's not really an increase in labor. And, um, the way, the way I'm envisioning for the MVP is, uh, customers already have to check out somehow they go to the front desk. There's an iPad there that says instant checkout. They put their bag there and pay with credit card. And then soon you could add in things like, uh, antennas with adapted inventory and then, Ultimately, it's hard to check out with an app. So who are you going for? Like small stores, big stores, grocery stores, clothing stores, huge brands? What, who are you going for? I'm thinking clothing stores and convenience stores, uh, at least initially. So convenience stores give a lot of the benefits of like the just walk out stuff, the convenience stuff. And then clothing stores uh, prioritize the uh, e-commerce abilities a lot more to be able to retarget customers and be a little bit more pointed with the way they're, they're selling things. Jake, how old are you? I'm 20. How big's tabs? Uh, it's actually less than 4 million. It's about $2 million this year. Um, got 800 K profit and we started a year ago today. So for how young and how impressive you are, I have got incredibly high standards because you're like, you're amazing. I mean, you're, 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 you're a certified badass with your background and how young you are. Thanks. I am shocked at how much you are you are screwing this up though, like with with this pitch because first you build them up, and then you talk well. Down. My standards with him are so high because like I'll I would invest in a lot of things that this guy does just because he's him. Uh, I think if you're that young and you're this successful already, like you clearly have some type of it factor. 
uh, Jonathan, by the way, can you mute them? You you clearly have some type of mute factor, or uh, you have some type of it factor. Sorry, and uh, you're you're amazing. I think though that when Sean nailed it, when he said, that, I don't, he didn't say it this way, but basically, this isn't really a tech problem. Uh, like the tech exists, and you're going to be working on that. This is a distribution and marketing problem. Can you just get this in the hands of the right people? I don't have a lot of experience selling to like uh, convenience stores and things like that. I think that would be a pain in the ass unless you got like a 7-Eleven or something like that. But like, I think going like from store to store to store is going to be the worst. But anyway, uh, I think this is like a distribution and customer acquisition problem. It's a sales and, problem. Yeah. It's a and sales problem. And like, if you're going to sell to a convenience store, like the dude who owns the convenience store is working there. That will tell you how much he thinks about efficiency, right? Like he just sits there all day. And like, if you're like, Hey, you have 4,000 SKUs on your shelves. Can you just add this tab to it? And then when a customer comes in, you could tell them just to walk out. He'd be like, actually, it's fine. They just, I actually want them to come to the front counter. So they buy a five hour energy also, and a lotto ticket. And like, I don't want them to just walk out. That's like half the revenue. And so, you know, I think that prop that if I was you, what I would say is who needs this the most? Well, I guess if I was you, I'd probably, actually lean on your strengths you're like good at tiktok and shit like that. that's my like, point it's like you're good at shit i'm that, shocked like, that he doesn't get old this people are bad at be- and you're doing a product that old people would be good at which is basically enterprise sales going to a kroger and showing them that with this increase in efficiency or retargeting or whatever they're gonna get you know it's a four percent impact to the you know to, to their to their operations and that's a huge number for them but that takes that's like a year-long rollout or whatever i, f- I think the smb sale problem is going to be pretty tough here so that's what I would say is the weaknesses, but really cool idea. And um, the good the good thing is I do think this is inevitable. Like, I do think this is where all retail is going. It's the how is it going to get there? That's sort of the challenge. And um, so, you know, that's, you know, that's that's the opportunity also. I think it's definitely going to be challenging to acquire the first initial customers. The way this works, though, is it gets easier over time. So you can build leverage with brands and have them install the tag itself. This is obviously a long-term goal, um, but once it's you know similar to a UPC where it's applied at checkout, the barrier to entry for a retailer to carry area or carry one tag in their store is virtually the same. And uh, a lot of these benefits are actually pretty relevant to um, to retailers. It's not really like this kind of archaic like old thing. Um, so I think uh, I think it's definitely going to be challenging to like go door to door and pitch. And I think there definitely would need to be some sort of investor or person that could intro me to a bigger chain there where we could like do an ex do a rollout of this that's much more efficient but um yeah i mean you're definitely right it's going to take some some legwork to to get someone on board if, if i was you um, there's there's a thing called walmart labs that you should check out so walmart has basically a giant innovation department or at least they did i don't know if this is still around but like they acquired a bunch of startups they put like millions and millions of dollars into Walmart labs where they were going to like experiment with technology because Walmart's the biggest retailer for them. 1% matters a lot. And um, I would go talk to them and be like, Hey, here's what we're thinking about. And I think that conversation will be pretty illuminating um, to figure out like, you know, what's the, what is the appetite? What are the concerns? What, how would they realistically, you know, how, how would you realistically get this into stores? So that'd be my suggestion as a next step. And I actually think that a lot, I know I'm currently filming this in Austin right now. HEB has a, like an innovation lab. I would I think Costco, I imagine would Sam's club, which is also Walmart does. But I think that as a 19, 20, 21 year old person with a really successful background, 
I think you actually have this massive advantage to go to some of these like executives at some of these big companies, these gray haired executives, and they would meet someone like you and they're like, you're you're special. Like, it's my job to like collect interesting talent and like be on the latest and greatest and, and know what's happening. I uh, I don't know if you're going to pull this off, but like I want to I want to be in business with you. And I think. Yeah. Like three out of 20 people who you talk to would give you a chance just because of your success and your age. And I think that you should use every advantage you have. Do you think I go to big retailers initially versus small? I 100% would. I would would go big right away. I think big retailers think about this stuff in a more like they, they need to be innovating and these efficiencies mean a lot more to them. Um, and they can sort of mandate these rollouts. So, so, so I think that's the that's the play. And Sam's totally right. There's going to be an executive who's like, "Love this." And you're going to be like, "Wow, he loves the technology." He's going to be like, "He's he's going to tell you, he's going to be like, you got to meet my son. He needs to be more like you." And it really, like the draw is going to be, he wants his 18 year old son to hang out with you so that he could be more like you. And like, you know, that actually could get you a long way. That actually happened to me several times in my like basically between 18 and 24, I got so many either investors or intros or things like that, just because people just thought it was endearing that I was this young kid who believed in this stupid thing and was going for it and was clearly smart and going to do things later. And uh, they just wanted that energy around them. They wanted to exactly. like, support it. They go, I just want a piece of the action. I don't know what it's going to be, but like when you see like anyone who's like at the top, oftentimes they'll be like, I appreciate young hustlers who are like, they're going to be the real deal. I see myself in you, whatever it is. And they build a relationship. And I would 100% use that because there's like this like five or six year window when you're still considered a prodigy and you should just like pounce on that. Right. Thanks, Jake. All right, everyone, a quick break because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called Money Wise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10,000, 30,000, 50,000? And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called Money Wise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called Money Wise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm the Sam Parr. Or you can just type in Money Wise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What You Should Put in a Job Description to Get the Perfect Hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jake. Um, All right. Who's next? We got Anant from Internet Activism. By the way, that guy's pitch was like a freaking Pixar movie or something. It was like animated in Figma, like kids these days. They got the tools, man. I don't, I don't even know. How, how do you do that? Did you have you ever even seen that before? <laughs> no, that, was, was, that was all designed in Figma. Yeah, that was impressive. This this one looks good too. I like Internet Activism. I li- I'm clicking on your deck now. I like your I like your hacker design. It's cool. All right, Thank two minutes, you. it's all yours, go. All right, my name's Anant Sinha. I'm the CTO of an organization called Internet Activism. So 
So currently the world is online. Over 64% of the world has access to the internet. And in the world's poorest communities, people are more likely to have access to a cell phone than a toilet. But still, the internet's potential when it comes to distributing humanitarian software is heavily underutilized. In response to this, internet activism is the first nonprofit that's solely dedicated to developing software in response to humanitarian disaster. So now I'm going to walk you through a couple examples of what this actually looks like. In March 2022, we launched a website called Ukraine Take Shelter. This is essentially like Airbnb for refugees. We connected refugees with potential hosts. And over the last year, we've been able to house over 100,000 refugees, which has $10,000 in spend. How did you track that? Like, you, you know for a fact you put them in their home? Yeah. Another example of a project we worked on is the world's most popular coronavirus tracking dashboard. This was launched in January 2020 before COVID-19 was officially a pandemic. It was used by over 600 million people. It was recognized by Dr. Fauci as an invaluable resource in distributing COVID-19 information. We were also recognized as being able to compile coronavirus data faster than the CDC and sharing it with the general public. And now moving on to what we're doing right now, we're building out an app called Hyperlocal. This essentially allows people to message each other just using Bluetooth. So if you don't have access to data or Wi-Fi or cellular service, you can still message others using Bluetooth. Even if they aren't right near you, we can carry, store, and forward messages. So messages can hop between people across large distances. This app is completely decentralized. It's censorship resistant and it's secure. And we envision this to soon be a vital part of the modern day emergency toolkit. So the central thesis for our organization is being low cost, having a quick response time and having building with small teams. We're going to build out an entire suite of products that we can tweak in the matter of days or hours to respond to crises around the world. And our main goal is to bridge the gap between the tech sector and humanitarian organizations. Our leadership consists of the world's leading internet activists, exited founders, and highly talented designers and developers. We're all young, ambitious, and we build really, really fast. And when crisis occurs next, we'll be ready to respond and move on to questions. Wow. Wow. That was incredible. Did you? Yeah. Who, you, who are you? These people are fucking amazing, <laughs> by the way. How old are you? How old I'm are you? 21. And you're in college? Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking myself that question, too. Probably going to take like a gap semester or a permanent gap semester starting next month. This is amazing. Well done. Um, from the start, the pitch was amazing. Uh, the, you know, the world's poorest communities are more likely to have a cell phone than access to a toilet. Um, that is, uh, you know, a great attention grabbing, you know, like, you know, grabbing by the throat type of, type of, uh, hook. And then, then you backed it up and you were like, you know, we're going to do this thing. We're going to basically develop soft, a nonprofit developing software for the humanitarian disaster. Okay. It sounds interesting, but you've actually done it. So super impressive that you guys did this Airbnb thing and you housed a hundred thousand refugees. Um, I remember using this coronavirus tracker uh, yeah, that same. you guys made. Um, so that's kind of amazing as well. And it and sounds like how much traffic did you say that one got? 
It had over 600 million users and a peak daily active 36 million users, 34 million daily active users. And how did it get so popular? What did you do? Did you just release it to the world and it just went? Or was there any growth and marketing around it? I believe it was because of how early it was released. This was before John Hopkins started like publicly aggregating all the data and releasing it. We just had an advantage of being like one of the first people to compile all this data and share it with everyone. Again, this was in January 2020. So this was three months before like the pandemic officially began. This was just in the early stages of the pandemic. And so you said this, you show this leadership team, which is three people. How many people are there total in your group or your org that like actively do stuff? Currently, there are five people. Wow. So you're a five person team. All of you guys are like, you know, college age. Is that it? Yeah. Everyone's in between the ages of 19 and 21. Have you made any money from any of this? Government grants, um, donations. We're 501c3, so we're going to be raising over the next few months. To... Okay, so our grand vision right now is we're just going full force with the nonprofit right now. So these are like a couple of cool projects, but this is small in comparison to what we're going to do over the next few years. We want to build out an entire suite of tools so that whenever a crisis occurs, we can just tweak it and then quickly deploy it in a matter of hours or days. I feel like current nonprofits the amount of time it takes to respond to a situation, it can be months, it can be years. We want to be able to do that in hours. We want yeah, to become how, like one to how many nonprofits are like run by hackers, right? Like, no one does this. That's why. So we worked on these projects in the past and we're like, why is no one else doing this? We see how powerful the internet is in terms of distributing these solutions. We see that can literally save lives. So if no other organization is going to do it, we're going to do it. But why is there an incentive for a for-profit investor? This isn't for profit. This is more, we're going to be taking donations. We're a nonprofit organization. But is there a way? Okay. Maybe there's a philosophical reason why you're doing it, which is totally cool, which is cool that I won't, I won't debate you on that, but if, no, no, we, we can talk about that. If, if we do make this a for profit company and we're going into countries where we're establishing a presence, we're becoming their like central means of communication. If we come across as a for profit company, People are going to question what our main incentives are. Again, we're not trying to dis distribute this in like one or two countries. With the app that I was discussing before, Hyperlocal, that, okay, I'm just going to walk you through that app real quick. Basically, it allows people to just message each other using Bluetooth. So if a government shuts down Wi-Fi access like we're seeing in Iran right now, you can still message people close to you or across an entire city. You can bounce message across everyone in between you and that person who has their app downloaded even if their phone is off. So, so if we so this, is, this has happened before, right? These mesh network like messaging apps and they kind of took off. I remember when at festivals where there was no service and then in some like disaster zones, they were using these. Uh, I the thing is called. that most of these mesh networking apps, their UI and UX sucks. We're going to improve that and they don't have store and carry. So say you're standing near me, I can message you pretty easily. But if I want to message someone who's a mile away, my message cannot get to them. What we're doing is essentially, and first of all, our messages are completely encrypted, but say I want to message someone who's on the other side of a city. If I want to message them, every person I come across, I will, they will store my message and be like, Anand is trying to message this other person. So once they walk across other people, they're also going to be carrying my message until it eventually reaches that person. So you're able to create like a virus effect and spread messages and create entire decentralized networks and cities. What are you and your team motivated by? Why are you doing this? <laughs> we want to like have a positive impact in the world. Basically, 
we know that there are existing solutions that can help out people around the world. We know that we can potentially save lives or just make the world a jet better place in general. But just to just to reiterate, this is not a profit making thing. And that is not your intention ever. You're just doing this because I imagine it's incredibly fun and because you just want to make the world better. Is that right? Yeah, basically, look, if you if you see that there's a problem in the world and you know that you have the means to create a solution for it, if you walk away from that solution, our entire team would basically be bystanders and our team isn't bystanders. Man, this was this was great. Um, you're you're he, you're a visionary. I, I mean, I, I think this guy's fucking badass. Yeah, I think what you guys have done is amazing. I think that uh, it's really cool to see a nonprofit that's just driven by, a, a you know, a handful of builders like in, engineers hackers for better lack of a better word and um not gonna lie gonna be a hard pitch to beat so you know <laughs> uh i'm just gonna put that out there the bar starting is starting off high. so our team is five people but we're planning on scaling this as fast as possible half of our team right now is full-time students i'm a computer science student here at university of michigan i have a lot of workload but as soon as this semester ends this is all we're gonna be working why probably- hasn't university of michigan been like dude bail here's money you're good that would be a good question for the university. Okay, both, both both of the first two pitches got the my first million uh, bachelor's degree. Of, you know, you, you got to be a badass uh, from our, from us. You don't need to finish school. The one thing you should do though is you should shout out if there's because people listen to this podcast. If there's somebody at a school right now or young young person who's like, dude, that's awesome. I want to help them out. Yeah. Okay. There's a website, internetactivism.org. If you go to that, you can find our contact information and reach out to us directly. All right, and internet beyond just people are interested in programming for us, if you're interested in working with us as a nonprofit organization or you're just philanthropic in general, feel free to reach out to us. We're looking for as many partners in both the tech and humanitarian space as possible. We want to reach as many people as possible within the next few years. All right, mute them, right, We Jonathan. get it. You're saving the world. Yeah, you're yeah, great. yeah. All right, <laughs> good. You're, you're perfect. You're, we, we love you. You're amazing. Um, but by the way, he hit him with the uh, if you don't want to sell sugar water. Exactly. Uh, While well, I'm just drinking a end. Coke. Amazing. <laughs> Dude, um, I, 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 these guys are so much smarter than us. These guys are amazing. Dude, I was picking my boogers at that age and eating Chick-fil-A. And now I still eat Chick-fil-A. I just stopped picking boogers. Right? Like These guys are so far ahead of where, where I was in college. That's insane. I was, it's noon on a Friday. I was gearing up for the nighttime bar run for my hot dog stand. <laughs> Like I was like getting, I was chopping onions in my kitchen, getting ready for the 2 a.m. hot dog rush. These guys are so to build a website that has 600 million people visit it. That is outstanding. This is just these 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 guys are crazy. Yeah. Um. I, I don't get like the whole not I would I would urge him. I, I mean, I could go either way. I would urge him to have a for profit way of doing this. Because no, I think no, that, no. He, he's doing dude, it perfectly. What are you going to live on grants your whole life? I mean, how does like, <laughs> first of all, like Jonathan, mute this guy. <laughs> there's a lot of money in government grants out there. It's not like we're going to be starving or anything. We can still afford to like sustain ourselves. We also have people like Jake in our community. So if you want to work on side businesses, we have that opportunity unlocked too. But yeah, you'll be it's fine. Not that we're, this is like, you know, when people go to teach for America for two years, like go work for internetactivism.org and, uh, You'll come out the other side, you know, in a good spot. Don't worry about that. All right. So let's do the next one. Next one is uh, Jordan is going to pitch us Yofi. By the way, I'm inspired. I want to quit this. Enjoy that. If I could hop in for two seconds, uh, I'm Bobby. And also, like, anyone who's watching this, 
we are a group of entrepreneurs is built for students by students is in my community. These people are my best friends. And if you want to like get involved with these people in any sort of way, like feel free to reach out to me at B-H-O-U-S-E-L at U-M-I-C-H dot E-U. We're building communities like this across the country and we want your help if you're a college student or a young person that's excited about making things. But uh, I'll let the next guy go. All right, let's do All it. Right. What's up, Jason from, what is it? Seafair, Seal Fair? Seafair and C-Fair. from Minnesota. All right, hit it. You got two minutes. Awesome. Ahoy, Sharks. This is Seafair, payroll and onboarding software for ships. Let's just jump right into the problem here. Paying the 2 million global seafarers is really hard. The average ship is made up of people from more than three different nationalities, meaning you deal with disparate local bank accounts, currencies, and regulations. That's why the current solution is literally paying these people in U.S. dollars cash and or sending slow and often delayed SWIFT transfers. On top of this, the documents that seafarers need to provide and that ships need to process are arduous and painstaking to go through. Take a look at this, Sam. I can see your face right now. You're having flashbacks to the DMV when you try to renew your license. It's an absolute disaster to go through these documents. We're talking vaccinations, professional certificates, sailing history, you name it, they have to provide it. One seafarer I talked to once had to print out 700 pages of documents just to get hired on a ship. By the way, what's a seafarer? Are we talking like like work ships or what? Yeah, we're talking merchant mariners. So any ship that's out in the ocean, primarily those like transporting goods and services, but outside like leisure as well as military ships. Yeah. Awesome. So what are my brother and I working on to address this problem? We're taking a two-pronged approach to this solution. First is with the payroll solution. We're talking multi-currency, low FX fees, direct deposit to local accounts, and a mobile first approach that will bring this industry to the modern era. This will improve record keeping and financial management for these ships and will eliminate the risk of having cash on board. I'm sure many of you have seen the movie Captain Phillips and know this problem at hand. Second is we're working on an onboarding solution. For ships, this will be a single place where they can have a document upload, where our software will scrape those documents to determine eligibility, expirations, and everything else a ship needs to know, saving them money. Seafarers will love it too, as it'll be a one-stop shop for them to store their documents, track their certifications, and have an employment record at hand. So, sharks, why now? There's two compelling reasons why this can happen right now. First is that fintech infrastructure over the past few years has exploded. Never has it been easier, faster, more efficient, and more reliable to build a cross-border payments company. Second, internet adoption on ships is finally growing. If you didn't know, lots of these ships didn't have access to internet until recently. With the drop in costs of satellite internet and Starlink for Maritime launching in just this July, we see it really exploding. On top of this, there's a labor shortage of seafarers right now, which is putting pressure on shipping companies to provide internet in order to attract labor to work for them. So sharks, I'll leave you with a quote from Captain Jack Sparrow. And in the meantime, I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. <laughs> Bravo, man. You guys are all great. This is the this is way like we had stocks. We did this with stocks and it was like these like, you know, people who have been working in the workforce for years and some of them already successful entrepreneurs. This is way better. This is way better. <laughs> yeah, this is really good. Um, what, what was your name again? Jordan? Uh, are you Jordan? My name is Jason. Jason. Okay, Jason. Jason. Um, Jason, I'd like to invest in your company. 
So I don't know if you're going right. to win this pitch competition or not, but I'd like to invest in your company. So All right, let's um, set up a call next week. No call. I'm in. Uh, the call is done. <laughs> the, this, was, this was the call, <laughs> and I'm in. Uh, I don't know if you have an entity or a corporation, but you need to get one and send me some wiring details uh, because I'm in on this idea. This is a, you know, one of my best investments. It was a company called Deal that's basically like a payments solution for yep. contractors around the world. This is like a niche that no – no payment company is going to really like kind of focus on the unique aspects of this. Um, no, none of the modern companies are going to do this. You know, I, I think because there's so, probably a bunch of nuances that are specific here. It seems like you could go in and, you know, you found a problem that most people aren't even really aware of. Like, I didn't even know what a seafarer was for the first two minutes of the presentation. Um, you know, so I doubt most entrepreneurs are even looking at this. The question, of course, is how big can this be? So let's just do some math here. Two million Two million. Uh, what do we? Call, I'm not calling these guys seafarers. Yeah. Two million I can, pirates I can walk you are out through there. The TAM calculations, if you want, quick. Yeah. So, what is the? How much money can you make if you get like you know whatever? Let's say um, you know some reasonable amount of like if you had a tenth of that. So, if you had two hundred thousand of these people using your platform, what yeah. would you be generating? Okay. Yeah. So two hundred thousand. We're charging ten dollars a month. Okay. So that's two million dollars every single month times twelve. Um, that's 24 million in, in ARR if we capture 10% of the market. But you also have to realize that we're going to be charging and sort of monetizing, not just based off $10 per person per month. We're also going to be taking 25 to 50 bips on FX, as well as getting floating interest on payroll deposits before they're sent out. So I would say how, that how do you know we, we like capture 10% of the bips. market. That's probably how, how do you know, 40 how do you know we like on. bips? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's Sam's safe word. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I think I'm clear. I'm in on this. I will invest in this company. Sam, what are your thoughts? It is, I'm 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 taken away. Uh, my breath is taken away. These guys are awesome, man. Uh, like the reason this is great is this guy's pitching a Seafair B2B software. But at the bottom of a slide, he says, Alexa, play I'm on a boat by Lonely Island. Uh, like <laughs> this, 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 the dichotomy here of going on of just a bunch of dumbass shithead young kids who are fucking geniuses and incredibly successful. I'm all about it. You know, I said earlier in the first pitch, you do a good job pitching to some older executive who just wants to be around you guys. That's exactly how I feel right now. So uh, you're. Your brother says five years to AWS. So is this your brother who's older and out of college? Yeah. In a computer engineering degree, he's been working at AWS for five years. And so this is currently just an idea, right? You don't have a product. You don't have any customers or anything like that. Yep. Idea phase. Did you work with uh, Bessemer? Bessemer? Yep. I worked at Bessemer Venture Partners last summer. Did you pitch them this? No, I did not pitch them this. (laughs) Why not? Uh, they primarily do Series A, but I'm happy to talk to some of my partner friends there after this. Why didn't, uh, how'd you come across this idea? Yeah, yeah. So my brother was actually born in Indonesia. He spent a lot of time there. And you might know them as like a global shipping hub. So he actually became friends with this guy named Dennis. Long story short is Dennis handled a lot of the payroll paperwork that has to be processed by these shipping companies. And uh, he would talk to my brother basically every day about the pain points he faced. So uh, we decided we should tackle this to help alleviate some of Dennis's pain here. 
Is that how you know them, Sean? Indonesia as a shipping hub? Yeah, I lived in Indonesia and I didn't pay attention to any of this shit. Uh, I met a guy named Poppy who was who was <laughs> importing yeah. cotton. Yeah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Shout out to Poppy. If he's listening somewhere, uh, yeah, I still remember you. So do you, how will you sell this? So who do you, who are you going to go to and like, is the guy going to have like, you know, gangrene on his knuckles and be like, what are you talking about apps? You know, like who, who are you going to be selling this to and what makes you think you could sell it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I know I look pretty young here, but I do have a past life uh, doing sales at several early stage successful software companies. I'm uh, most notably patch.io, joined them pre-seed. They're now at series B. So I've put in my thousand cold calls, put in my hundred thousand cold emails. So I'm pretty confident that I can get on the phone with someone and sell something. Um, I will say the people we're targeting, right? This is a fairly concentrated industry. A lot of the shipping companies control lots of like market share. So it's pretty long sales cycles, enterprise B2B sales cycles. But I directly reach out to sort of those working in the offices of these shipping companies, get them on the phone and sort of kick off that cycle. I'm projecting six to 10 months for the average sales cycle for these bigger companies. Um, but obviously, we're going to work our way down to SMBs later on. Jason, you're Jason, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I'm so hot and bothered when you talk to me like yeah. this. Just, did someone script this for you? Why are you saying yeah. all the right things? All right. So this is great. Jason, email me, Sean at SeanPurry.com. I'm investing in this company. I can't wait. Uh, this is this is really, really interesting. Uh, well well done. Good pitch. Um, all right. Next one up, we got – are we going back to – Thanks, boys. Are we going back – by the way, you like how he was like – so sharks, you want to come take a swim in the maritime industry? <laughs> these kids are the best. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I thought this was going to be stupid. These are these guys are so much better than anything we've ever done with this. They are yeah. so talented. Also, if this is like the bar, if this is the normal bar of college entrepreneur, then like, uh, uh, you know, like. I feel like we were playing basketball back in the days when they had like short shorts and nobody could use their left hand and like you know, it was a peach basket yeah. for a hoop. It's like, oh wow, these these guys can jump. You yeah, know, like, it's like we just like LeBron just learned how to lift weights. Like that's what this feels yeah, like. I don't know what's happening. I, for my, by for the my way, sake, he I'm hoping he had, this next one sucks. I really hope he sucks just so I feel better. This guy, Jason, was supposed to go last, but he just interrupted and grabbed the mic like Kanye did with Taylor Swift because he goes, hey, bro, can I take this over? I got to run to class. Like, can we just reiterate that? The, if I was University of, what is this, University of Michigan, uh, they seem like a fairly progressive school. If I like w was these guys and I heard what was happening, I would say, bro, just like, don't go to class anymore. Here's here. We, we got you covered. Do this stuff. By the way, uh, I want to do this with like every university now. This is amazing. Uh, I need to know if it's just a University of Michigan thing or if this is this like the caliber of, of entrepreneurs. Jo uh, Jonathan, what should we if, if you're another university or if you're somebody at a university listening to this, how do they get in touch with us to do this at their school? It is it is definitely partially a Michigan thing. And I will say like the biggest problem is the universities don't facilitate this. It took me like two years to meet every single one of these killers. And like we come together biweekly to bring together these kinds of conversations and to build together. And who's like, who's this that talking? didn't exist. Bobby, Bobby are you, you organize yeah, this, this thing? Is, I'm, I'm Bobby. Are you a student? Yeah, so this is, I'm a student as well. Yeah. This the is Don. a community of entrepreneurs, like 200 strong at this school. We meet biweekly and just enjoy each other. No context of like paying dues, like monthly membership, like screw that. This is not a club. This is just a group of killers that enjoy spending time together. Bob like, this the Don, even he's got a good pitch, man. Dude, That's this Bob. does not exist at other schools. And the schools that like pretend like they have these crazy entrepreneurship programs, like 
no hate on Michigan entrepreneurship. Like there are some upside, but like they can't build this, right? Like this has only existed because I spent oh every like, waking moment Dude, can- at this school. Like anytime anyone tells me they're building something, Bob's like, the new I go and scooter Ron, man. What yeah. the Dude, who are you? You Pit need to come on my so, first million. Um, like, I would love to help put this on other schools. Like our mission is to bring this sort of community to schools across the country, right? Like built ground up four students, five students, screw the preconception of having to do anything like <laughs> yeah. come and be together and like make cool shit. All right, Bob, put, uh, uh, put that, was, that was incredible. But also just the bi-weekly killers. <laughs> that's, that's a great band right there. That's yeah, it's like a doo-wop band from the 60s. This data is wrong every freaking time. Have you heard of HubSpot? HubSpot is a CRM platform where everything is fully integrated. Whoa, I can see the client's whole history. Calls, support tickets, emails, and here's a task from three days ago I totally missed. HubSpot, grow better. Put yo fi on. I want to hear from Jordan Shamir. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I guess I'm the senior citizen here. I'm a master's student, so a little bit older. But if we go to the next slide, one of the things we were working on in a previous life is we were all working on digital identities. How can these brands create you know, meaningful, consistent relationships with their customers? Customers are always changing, but one of the things that we saw is that our understanding of who customers are digitally is really complicated. We can't interact with them. We can't see them. We can't see what they like. And so one of the things that we did is we actually worked with some of the world's largest brands, right? Working in the bot mitigation teams. I don't know if y'all like sneakers or anything along those lines. One of the things that we saw is that through all of our experience in e-commerce, but just larger brands in general is that Everything you consume digitally is being skewed because everyone has multiple personas or multiple identities online. So whether it's intentional, being bots, frauds, resellers, et cetera, or unintentional, right? We've all used multiple different email addresses to get 10, 15% off discounts. And this creates a huge issue for both brands and consumers, right? From brands, I don't know how many customers that I have are unique. I don't know which products to build because it's being skewed by these multiple personas. I over forecast inventory leads to a bunch of dead stock, but also, as consumers, right, we all know what's going on with Taylor Swift, or we've all lost sneaker drop. We've all paid way too much for a concert ticket that we wanted to go to. The reason it happens, it's not because other people are beating you, it's because people are programmatically beating you with bots. And the second thing that I also, you know, that we see that's just fascinating is that the notion of omnichannel has changed drastically. You're not just competing Nike versus Adidas, you're also competing Nike versus, you know, D2C, Nike Dick Sporting Goods, Nike unauthorized resellers. And these unauthorized resellers are actually costing brands millions of dollars a year. Even Dum Dums, Lollipops, like the ones that you get from you know, the hospital or the doctor, is actually being arbitraged and it's costing them millions of dollars a year. And then we kind of know about these fake profiles on Twitter and you know, these social media sites that we've seen. Or even if you live in New York, Austin, LA, you know, if you try to go to your favorite restaurants, the big reason why they're booked is that the moment they come online, they're taken and resold somewhere else. So what we've done is we've actually created a platform like in a digital identity platform where in real time without like interacting with the user, we rank every order between zero and 100. So we kind of use this real time graph networking clustering to be able to find all these patterns of randomness and associations between individuals. And we create these really nice graphs to be able to say, okay, well, these are bots. These are bad actors. These are duplicate accounts. And so we actually work with some of the largest neighborhood sneaker stores in the world to help them prioritize, hey, I got a whole bunch of raffle entries, right? I got 400,000 raffle entries for 50 pairs of shoes. How do I use this to acquire new clients or prioritize existing ones? How do I choose? Because today what they're doing is they're just randomly giving it out and people aren't actually buying them because people aren't even checking the email addresses that are going in. 
So we've been actually working with a lot of this from bad actors perspective. But one of the new things that we've been able to see with this, which has been really cool, is helping brands actually find their best customers. So kind of through using the same clustering technology, we've been able to say, who are your most influential customers, right? How are they not just their okay. individual can lifetime we, value, but what we, we pause? It's a close circle. Yeah. Can we pause? I think that might be over the two minutes. So um, Sam, can you tell me? Can you tell me what this guy does? What, what is the business? Yeah, you, you're missing your one-liner, my friend. But basically, uh, it's a software that has 160 features that analyze in real time the patterns of random randomness and similarities at the customer transactional product company. Le- it, it's it's confusing, can, can dude. You, can you explain that, Jordan? Can you explain it to me like this? We help blank customer. So who, who's your customer? What type of person or business? Oh, we help brands and retailers. More specific, like give me one example. Like we help shoe shoe brands or something. Yeah, we help brands like Nike to prioritize their best consumers for limited release products and also clean their data by pulling out kind of all the crap that goes in. I don't. So prioritize their top customers. You basically you tell Nike who their top customers are. We would say like for sneaker drops and limited release products, like hey, these are the new clients that you can acquire cheaply. Or here are the clients that you can actually prioritize that this is actually something meaningful compared to one person putting like 10,000 or 100,000 entries via bots to get those products. So you just prevent bots from buying shit online? We prevent. And then what we also do is we actually kind of clean the data downstream. So we flag all of those accounts that can get pulled out of the CRM system that are kind of bloating the CRM system. So like one of the things that we see from a lot of our clients is that they way overspend on you know, the products that they use like Clavio or, you know, kind of CRM products, because a lot of the entries in there aren't actually legitimate. So when I'm actually making decisions around how many products should I buy or how many products should I make? What are people buying? It's actually being skewed based off the amount of what's in there is actually just a bunch of duplicate versus actually unique consumers. Okay. You are not the best at explaining your own company, but that, but you're not horrible. I kind of get it after you explain it a bunch and, but that, that's all good. You can, I think you can improve that, but do you have any, um, even on your website, man, I'm going to be honest, it's, it's a little challenging to understand, but I saw that you have a book demo thing. Do you, are you booking demos? Are you, do you have a product? Are people buying it? Yeah, we have about 25 customers right now. That's impressive. What's the revenue? The revenue right now, when we convert to revenue is going to be around 15 K MRR. But it's free now, is what you're saying. It's free right now. Yep. Who's using Any it? notable customers that, yeah. you know, like are anybody we would know of? Um, I guess like based off the area you're in, we work with a lot of like local sneaker stores. So like in San Francisco, we work on with a couple, same in Seattle, same in Canada. So mostly local sneakers. Do they love it? And be honest, do they love it? Do they like it? Or do they think it's just okay? They love it. I mean, right now we're providing from our cost to value. We're providing for like, if we're charging them $1,000, one of their stores, we're providing $10,000 in net new revenue that we're acquiring in for them a month. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, honestly, it's tough to give you feedback because the pitch was so confusing. Um, so it's really difficult to try to suss that out, right? Like just from the beginning, you know, like Sam said, you need your one liner or your one sentence description so that people need to have a clear picture in their head at the beginning of the presentation what the business does. So, right. So you, here's your first slide. Your first slide said, yo keep business human. All right, cool. No idea what you do. Then I go to your second slide. It's a team slide. Experts at transforming data into recommendations. Our passion is co- keeping customer interactions authentic and meaningful. Still have no idea what you guys do. Then slide three, everything is digital and you've been impacted. And it says something about ticket sellouts and fake social media and brand loyalty is harder. Okay. Still don't know what you do. 
And then the last one, which is prioritize and reward your best customers. We help you understand your customers and streamline every interaction. I feel like there's 50 different ways that that could be described. Like that could mean 50 different uh, solutions. And so, and then the last slide is just your title again, right? So that was the whole pitch. And so that's the, that's, I think the challenge here is for me, at least I'm not able to really give you any useful feedback except for, except for to say, I think you got to like flip this on its head and say, we're Yofi. And we help, you know, we help businesses figure out who their most valuable customers are. For example, this is a shoe store. The shoe store does drops every Friday, but it's having this problem, which is blah, blah, blah. And that's a common problem. So we give them this app that shows them a screen like this. And these are all the top customers. They push this button and our app costs a thousand dollars a month. And look at this. Our, we have 25 customers. And on average, we make them 10 grand a month in additional revenue. And we also save them an additional thousand dollars a month because of the bloated CRM. And like, they don't actually need those contacts right. in there. And then all these other reasons. And yeah. And then you, go, you know, then you could go on and here's why, you know, we even found this problem because we've spent our career doing this, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I think that's how I would try to reorient this pitch if I was you. But the good news is, is as you got into it and we were able to like work hard to kind of find the gold and all the dirt, you had some good shit in there. It does actually seem like an interesting product. It's, it's pretty impressive that you're have all these people using it. You're saying they love it. I have no idea if that's true, but you're saying they love it. That's really interesting. That's hard to do with the software product when you're just working on it part time. So it seems actually fairly interesting. I think your branding is kind of cool, um, but your messaging um, needs a lot of work. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. And that's been our hardest thing is like we kind of matured. It's like getting the messaging spot on because like we do a little bit more. Right. We started with sneaker bots. Now we've kind of expanded more to digital identity. So having like a streamlined messaging of like what we do, that's like a one liner is. But you're, I think you're making a common mistake, which is. We do a bunch of things. We don't have just one customer. We have like five, five different types of customers and we do, we have a hundred features in our app. So we do a bunch of things. So what you do is you try to create this giant umbrella. That's a catch all. Like we help customers, we help brands understand their customers or streamline their customer interactions. And th the problem is nobody knows what the hell that means. So instead you should go way narrower and be like, uh, you know, whoever you're most of the 25 clients, is there one type that's like, you know, the majority or half a half of the customers is it shoe stores sneaker stores yeah right now it's uh yeah sneaker store and beauty right. so, so, like that. so i would start by saying we help stores do x for example we have 25 customers right now and half of them are sneaker stores sneaker stores have this problem blah 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 you talk about that you say but it's not just sneaker stores because yes sneakers do drops but so does taylor swift she does drops too and so does this brand they do drops too and they all have that same problem right and so that's kind of how you should explain it instead of trying to do this like um, umbrella thing. Um, okay, cool. Uh, thanks so much. We got the we got one more, I, I believe. Yep. <laughs> we got we got Dolan from Deal Dog that's going to take us home. Dolan from Deal Dog. All right, wonderful. Awesome. So my name is Dolan, and uh, I created Deal Dog. So DealDog is an exclusive campus marketplace. We launched this semester at the University of Michigan, beginning with student football tickets. And since then, our traction has been good. We have over 2,000 verified Michigan students on the app. And those 2,000 students have processed over $93,000 of student tickets. Uh, additionally, with some traction numbers, two-thirds of those tickets that have been listed on DealDog have been sold to other users. And we're growing in the next few months. So what's the core problem? Essentially, the way students buy and sell things on campus now 
is they go to GroupMe or Facebook Marketplace. Those are filled with bots and scammers. Uh, and basically, it's just a mess. Next, they need to go to a platform like Link- LinkedIn or Instagram to message the other person or verify their legitimacy. Finally, they need to transact payment. And there's friction between do you use Zelle, do you use Cash App? There's a chicken and the egg problem versus who sends the item first and who pays first. And overall, it's just a complete mess. So what makes DealDog different? First of all, we verify your UMICH email so you can't get into the app unless you have a verified student email. It's a centralized place to find relevant items to students along with tools like filtering, sorting, and searching. Uh, So here's an example on the left of what our app looks like if you were to log in versus on the right. This is the the current state of the market filled with scammers and et cetera. So what makes DealDog actually different? So our app has gamified tools that turn student pain points into fun experiences. One of which that I demonstrated here is our tool called Final Offer. Basically, if you're dealing with somebody, they're wishy-washy, you can't reach uh, agreement on price, you can use our Final Offer tool to send them your best offer. If they reject it, the conversation's over. And if they accept it, you you agree to sell them that item. This is highly scalable because when we expand into new markets, we can add tools into this toolbar exactly like you do with iMessage to help solve those needs. So how does this scale? There's two ways. One of which is we're going to expand to different categories on campus. We just launched the clothing and have great success. Uh, our approach is to build things from the ground up instead of cloning other markets. Uh, and again, with our chat tools, integrations we're thinking about are to integrate on top of the APIs of existing clothing platforms. So that, for instance, if you want to find Michigan gear, and you can't find exactly what you're looking for on our app. It'll redirect you to an existing platform. And although we may lose that particular sale, we want to make that buying experience as easy, fast, and safe as possible for students. So our future plans are to expand to new campuses. Uh, We're going to build on top of the dominant ticketing APIs that exist in the market today. And additionally, we're going to have an ambassador program so we can scale even faster both at Michigan and at other schools. Does this exist now or is this just an idea? So this exists now. Uh, It's been live for about two months, just at Michigan. We wanted to really validate our hypothesis uh, and see what works with students and what doesn't work. Did you you think he was making up the traction numbers or what? I didn't see it. Wait, First slide. He's like, we have 2,000 students, 90,000 of of GMV, and that's in two months. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Huh. Okay. And what was your take on that? You take 10%? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that we wanted to hold off on is actually implementing the payments. We've already built it, but we didn't want to implement it yet because we're so new. Uh, we thought it'd be uh, a little, uh, it'd be a point of friction for students to be like, hey, you know, we're launching this new app. By the way, what's your credit card number? Put in your banking details, stuff like that. Uh, we wanted to really get the product down first before we started actually, you know, taking money between the two parties. When we do, it's going to be between five and 10% of whatever the transaction is. Okay. Uh, all right, cool. Thanks, Sean. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's cool. Um, I like some of the product details. Like I love the final offer thing. I think that's great. And I get it that like, you know, Craigslist, Facebook marketplace, these things are like lower trust. So having verified student IDs, I think it's just great because it creates this like trust bubble. So I really like that. Um, I don't know how big this gets. So that'd be my kind of question. I don't really like these kind of like small take rate businesses where you take five or 10% 
then you need the number to be massive on the transaction side in order for you to like make a lot of money. Um, so I think that's the, my only question is just like, I think this is a really, it's a useful product. I think it's a cool project to work on. Um, I wouldn't personally invest in this because I don't think it can be that big. You would have to basically take a Facebook path where you would say, we're going to go get every college. And we're going to dominate that college. It's going to be like the way that you transact in a, in a trusted environment. And then you say, okay, but it's not just colleges. Now we're going to do neighborhoods because we can send postcards out and verify that you live at the address like next door does. And we're going to, you know, you'd have to really believe that like two or three more miracles are going to happen for this to be big. Um, so I think that's my only, that's my only knock on it, which is not really like, you know, not every business has to be absolutely massive. It's just when I invest, I try to obviously slant towards things. That but it's a net, it's a network's effects. It's a net in th this business involves a network. So in order for it to be successful, everyone needs to be using it. So my problem is not with Dolan, the entrepreneur. My problem is with this market. Uh, I think that even if you are a 10 out of 10 entrepreneur, this is just like social apps. Even if you're a 10 out of 10 entrepreneur and you have 10 out of a 10 execution, it's just like it's so challenging to make yeah, this work. You're, you're going for like a four out of 10 opportunity. Yeah, it's just it's just so hard because you got you're competing with Craigslist, you're competing with um, Facebook Marketplace. Now you're going to be competing with the other incumbents that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars that are, I think, mostly failing. Like what was that thing called? Let, offer let, up, offer up, and Lego or let, something like that. They bought billboards. They did everything they possibly could. I don't think it's caught on. Uh, and it's like, well, they the entrepreneurs I bet were really great. They raised hundreds of millions of dollars, so capital wasn't an issue. And yet they still can't beat Craigslist, which is just 30 dudes in an apartment working at, which is, I know this because I rented their apartment. It was like a crappy apartment. It's just 30 guys who are hippies. And they're just like, we're, it's like, well, you're just not going to beat us because everyone already uses this. So it's like, it doesn't matter how great you are. Uh, and so it's really, really hard. You have so many things going against you. And I want to invest in things that have tailwinds. And I just don't think that no matter how great you are, you're going to catch a tidal wave. I think you're always going to be paddling, you know, upstream on this one. Yeah, really good points. We certainly have a lot to prove. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is, A, begin with college campuses. The reason being is because, you know, at, at these big, large state schools, you got a student body of 50, 60,000 people competing for 10,000 tickets. And in that exact niche, you know, the math really makes sense. But I do agree in a lot of other cases, it might not. Uh, one of the things that we're expanding to working on, if I may, is... A lot of these items that we're working on, whether it be tickets, secondhand goods, services, subletting, uh, the core mechanics of those can be distilled down and then scaled to other things. So for instance, if a campus group has a concert, they bring a DJ, whatever the case may be, uh, they can use our app and underlying ticket technology to distribute that on campus. And so again, it doesn't solve your core uh, issue of, you know, it's a incredibly difficult market. Dude, I is. think that makes it worse, actually. I think that one of the few ways that these business, one of the few ways these businesses can work is by like being very niche. So you have Poshmark for women's clothing. You've got um, uh, Grail for men's streetwear. Uh, you know, there's like dozens of these that are like pretty big companies. I think Poshmark is a multi-billion dollar company. ThreadUp, I don't know what their niche is, but some type of like clothing for a certain genre of person. I think that when you appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. And I think that in really to make this work, you'd have to select like I'm sure that there's what's the one called for tennis or for sneakers, stock X or something like that. Yeah, coat. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are huge businesses because they just focused on one thing. And it's far easier to have a wedge where you start with a small group of people who are passionate and care about them and get them to use it versus 
well, we're going to do tickets and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. It's like, no, man, I think you can just build a big thing. If you just focus on this one thing. And so appealing to everyone. So sublets, um, so apartments uh, and then tickets and then you had clothing on your deck. I think that's actually, in my opinion, turns me off even more. Not again, not entirely on you. I just think that like there's just so many things outside of your control. You know, like Seafair was going to compete against like paper. You are going to co- co- compete against Zuck, Craigslist and like hundreds and billions of dollars of invested capital into this. I just don't think it's, it's, it's not a safe bet. It's not a good bet. Yeah. Really good points there. And something to work on for sure. And by the way, I would say uh, like when I was in college, our first idea was, um, it's always this, this and roommates. (laughs) Well, no, this would have been better than my first idea. The one we did straight out of college was like a sushi restaurant chain. We tried to create a, a, a restaurant chain and like, um, it was the same thing. We could be 10 out of 10 um, execution, 10 out of 10 creativity. Like fundamentally, like restaurants are like, you know, sort of like a two out of 10 opportunity. It's like one of the worst types of businesses you can try to start. And, you know, so we had a point where a year in we were like, cool, we won this business plan competition. We ha- we can do this. It's not that we can't do it. We're, we're having success with our first location. But like. We, we got to remember, this is just our first idea. Maybe we're more entrepreneurs than we are restaurateurs. And maybe this first idea is the one that got our wheels turning. But let's not commit more years to something. If we rec- Once we recognize that this is a two out of ten opportunity, we should just say, oh, okay, cool. Let me just be a college kid. Let me ha- have my opportunity, my time back, and let me put it on another better opportunity. And so that's what I would do if, uh, if I was you. But it, just FYI. Getting $93,000 of transactional value, super, uh, transactional super volume great. is super, super, super impressive. That is amazing. So maybe you can prove us wrong and be like, we're, and you said two out of three are tickets. You just be like, look, we're just going to build a different stub hub and it's going to be better because we're marketing wizards and who knows why it's going to be better. Maybe you're going to prove us wrong, but $93,000 and 2,300 users in a three months incredibly impressive that is wildly impressive so you're you're also a superstar i'm just gonna i I don't know if you're gonna pull it off in this genre but we'll see yeah awesome thank you guys so much uh as a closing note like if you have any advice on this it seems like the of the people that do use our app um you know they almost exclusively use it to sell their tickets and other things if you decide not to bail i would stick with tickets and stick on that for at least one year and talk to users constantly and see what happens but i would stick with tickets and i wouldn't even worry about expansion i would just figure out what makes them come back over and over and over again because i imagine if i had to look into StubHub and SeatGeek, cac is the biggest issue and i'm just guessing i've not researched this yep all right dolan thank you so much um and all right what we gotta do we pick a winner we pick a winner now. So that is the uh, My First Million Presents University of Michigan pitch competition. Super impressive caliber of entrepreneurs. Like I said, um, love this community. You know, Bobby, Bobby, my biweekly killer. Good job putting this group together. Um, we got to pick a winner. So, Sam, how, how do, do you want to do this? I think well, so let, let's talk about uh, like who's in the top three. And yep. then you and I slack with me. I, I just slacked you my top two. You and I slack and, and just tell me uh, what you want to do. And I'll tell you if I approve and I agree with your vote. But basically, yep. um, let's go. Let's go in order. So, so third runner up uh, or like, you know, but maybe maybe, maybe my top three, I guess. Uh, I just give you give you three in uh, random order. So um, I liked Seafarer. Like I said, I, I want to actually invest in that. I think that that's a. A really cool idea going into a boring, boring industry that's painful, complicated, and I think, you know, not going to be easy to sell into, 
But if they do, very easy to get lock in. And I think they can make money doing basically payroll for the shipping, you know, shipping industry for people who work on ships. So I, I really like that idea. Um, internet activism was super impressive. They, you know, have built a website that got 600 million users. They uh, built an Airbnb thing for Ukrainian refugees that had 100,000 people stay, you know, in homes. That's kind of that's just crazy. Kind of ludicrous. That, and, that, that's a career maker, just that. I mean, that number. And, and just the idea of a nonprofit that's not uh, driven by, you know, what nonprofits are driven by today, which is sort of like fundraising and sales and marketing. It's like, we're hackers. We just build stuff that's going to help help people. And that's what we do. And I, I really kind of resonate with that. Um, I've seen the power of that. One time, um, the guy who was investing in our, our idea lab, he was like, hey, I want to do this thing for this charity I support called Charity Water. You know, but instead of just giving money, what if we gave our talent? What if we built something and we built a charity website that was designed to go viral? It was like, could you make charity go viral? That was the mission. We spent three months on it. And I remember we got, I don't know, five million people to like come visit the thing. And we raised, I think, 800,000 for the cause. Um, and so like I've seen how builders can help charity in a way that's kind of unique. And then... um and then also Jake from Tabs Chocolate, who's doing the NFC tagging thing. I thought that was another good one. I think I think a cut below the other two, but a honorable mention. What, what do you think? Same? I agree entirely. I think Jordan just did a really bit good bad job of pitching, and but I actually think that that business is actually really intriguing and could be great. I think it's just a boring software company that I like. I think it could be a really great business, uh, but he was so bad at pitching that it ruined the fact that it's a cool company, I think. Uh, and I actually think that he's got a lot, he doesn't have as much traction as internet activism, but if he does actually have 30 or however many, however many said 20 customers using his software, I think that's a fairly pretty big deal because it seems kind of hard to sell into them. So yeah. um, I sent to you what I think should be the winner. It's the last thing I said. Do you agree or n not agree? Um, I don't agree. I think... It should be this other one. What do you think? Okay, so let's just say who the top two are. Yeah, top two right. we got are Seafarer and Internet Activism. And so let me let me explain my yeah, let me let's, explain let's my perspective it. here. So Internet Activism, fucking amazing. This guy made me want to quit and join him. My issue with him, not him. My issue with giving them the money is they already have a great thing going, and they're kind of crushing it. It feels weird giving this money to a nonprofit. Uh, I'd rather just give them my own personal money. But he is so impressive that I was I, I, I this guy's going to be uh, on the cover of Fortune or Forbes, I think, in the next five years. So I'm, I would be fine giving them money. But Seafair, it's an idea, man. We could just be the first money in to actually make them like build something. So that's why that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. But I think for Seafair, I would put my personal money in as an investment. But I think for the prize money of this. I think that if we put it into internet activism, it's going to save lives. And uh, and honestly, like he was of the bunch. He was the most missionary. And yeah. like you could just tell, like, for example, the guy's every, a visionary. All, all these other people, I feel like if I talk to them six months from now, they could be working on something completely different. And that's totally normal and OK, especially if you're in college. I actually encourage that. But when you know, you know, this guy was like kind of aggro where, where he was like, you know, um, yeah, I could go work on a CRM tool or, <laughs> or it's like whatever. But like, you know, F that I'm doing this. 
And that is something I really, really respect. I don't I think he was looking for validation. I think he was trying to get the word out. And so that I respect that. Dude, I looked up one of the co-founders of Internet Activism on Twitter. And um, he uh, his background picture was Zuck, was Mark Zuck giving the middle finger. <laughs> and I used to have that same background. And so I'm on board, man. Uh, I agree with you. We'll give it to Internet Activism. I think that they are awesome. I think all the folks here are are were, were incredibly impressive. Right. Dude, the one that we shit on the most, I think, was Deal Dog. The guy got $93,000 in transactional yeah. value in three months. Like, no one does impressive. that. Very so, impressive all around. Kudos to everybody. And I got to say, we're not picking Internet Activism for the do-good. Like, the guy's pitch was dope. His first line where he's like, you know, people in poor communities have have more access to cell phones than they do to toilets, right? He His pitch was good. His traction was good. We've built things that have gotten hundreds of millions of visits, right? Um, his idea was a big idea, an encrypted messaging app that can't be shut down, basically an unstoppable messaging app that's going to help people in, in certain places, right? And I think he was the most committed founder. That's why, not because uh, it's a charity, just give him the money. I also think he's a shithead. I think these guys are shitheads. I think that these guys are like uh, the good type of shitheads. I think that they're the people who I'm gravitated towards. I like people who just like, I, and, and frankly, a lot of these guys had that vibe. I mean, Tab's Chocolate from Jake definitely has that vibe. Um, they have this like attitude of like, screw it. I'm just going to do this and yeah. we're just going to see what we're, we're going to see what finds out. Streak. Yeah. Yes. And I love that mentality. This guy just displayed it the best for this in this particular case. But these guys all had this like punk rock vibe that I love. So and that's yeah. guys, that's that's everybody in this room right now. Even like, the pitch man had people. it. Yeah. Even people is building insane stuff. We, we got 20 entrants um, and Jonathan and, and Mike and I like we were struggling to Dude, pick five. Was, um, there, we we could have had twenty pitches. He was like shitting on the traditional clubs day. and like other like official organizations, and he's like, "No, we're the underground. We're the underground real ones." <laughs> and I, I respect that. Dude, that this reminds me. I mean, they were further along than us and smarter than us. But when you and I were like twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, hanging out at your office at Monkey Inferno, we surrounded ourselves with these types of freaks, and a lot yeah. of them have gone on to build literally 20 or 30 billion dollars worth of companies you know jack smith uh your boy um furcon uh, like these guys have built like huge uh ryan hoover all these guys have built some really huge companies and these guys remind us of this and i think that it's actually i hope send us to U university of michigan they're blowing it man by not empowering you guys uh so i, I think that's crazy yeah but, send yeah. me a hoodie i'm wearing a michigan hoodie on the next pod i'm, I'm a, I'm a me fan too. now you know who else came from uh, University of Michigan was our boy Michael uh, from from Future, who's a total has this exact same vibe of just pretty one of the one of the first members of this organization or whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah. this is uh, this is credit to these guys and gals. This is not credit to University of Michigan. This is uh, all these people are, are what makes this special. We love University of Michigan. We do, and we're going to take every single last resource until we leave this place. But until then. Uh, oh man all right well whatever you want to describe yourself i admire you folks i think you're awesome i think the listeners hopefully this gets hundreds of thousands of listens we'll see i, I think this is going to be a hit um but uh yeah you're awesome so if people want to find out more do you have your website what's your website did, did you even say that yeah just again it's internetactivism.org we're looking for donors we're looking for engineers we're looking for nonprofit organizations to partner with 
anything. If you think you can help out or you're interested in working with us, just feel free to reach out. Again, internetactivism.org. All right. And uh, the name of the club is what? Entrepreneurial Power Hour. My name is Bobby Housel. Um, you can feel free to reach out to me and help me build this across the country. All right. Thank All you. Right. Sean, you got anything to say? We're out of here. No, that's it. That's the pod. Good job, guys. Very impressive. Very impressive.